Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walk on over to Walters this Saturday night to watch the big fight, Jake Paul versus Haseem Rahman Jr. Register to receive one free Mike's Hard Lemonade. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch to Pete Alonso. Alonso launches one to left field. This one is deep left center. Yadiel Hernandez not going to get it. And this one is gone. It just clears the fence. That one never sunk at all. Mets lead 4-1. Homer number 27 for Alonso. The 2-0. Swing a high drive. Left center field deep. Hernandez on the go. Way back. Not going to get it. And it is gone. Into the Mets bullpen. A three-run shot for Francisco Lindor. That makes it 7-3 Mets. Now the pitch. Inside high. Soto leaning back away from ball four. He'll go to first base. Walking for the third time in the game. And listen to the hand again for the Nationals fans. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. MLB Trade Deadline Day 2022. Or should I say D-Day 2022. A day that sets up to be a big day for the Nationals. And maybe possibly the single biggest day since the franchise won the 2019 World Series. One of the biggest trades in not just Nats history, but Washington, D.C. sports history could be happening on this Tuesday. The Nats trading away their star right fielder, Juan Soto. Hasn't happened yet, at least as of the taping of this podcast. Uh, We shall see. News can break at any moment. Uh, But this is a big day for the Nats for so many reasons. And uh, it's very nice to be with you, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. He is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats lost on Monday night, uh, lost game one of a three-game series against the National League East-leading New York Mets at Nationals Park. 7-3 was the final. And I tell you what, if that was the final game for Juan Soto as a Nat, boy, did he go out in style. A grandiose home run off the ex-Nat Max Scherzer three walks. But at the same time, we also had the Nats losing the game and losing rather convincingly. So, you know, you had an interesting juxtaposition of why you should keep Juan Soto. He's great. By the way, you also had an outfield assist and a stolen base, but you also had reason for why the Nats should trade Juan Soto. The team is not very good right now. Mark, this shapes up to be someday. How are you? Doing fine, Al. I'm, as we taped this, a little bit surprised that we don't have more actual news to discuss yet. There was one trade on Monday and it was 
not one that many people were anticipating and not really a big name at all with A. Ray Adrianza going back to the Braves. I really thought there would be something just because there is so much that has to be done before six o'clock on Tuesday. And because the Soto potential trade, there's so many moving parts to that. And it's so complicated that my feeling was I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to address the other ones first, get those out of the way, and then just focus on uh, Soto on Tuesday. Now, you know, they still have plenty of hours to go. Maybe they take care of the other stuff earlier in the day on Tuesday and then still give themselves time to deal with the last of them. But it made for a strange day for everybody and for Soto, a very strange, but in some ways still satisfying day. I mean, he had probably his best all around game of the year. You just outlined everything that he did. The fact that he did it off Max Scherzer was outstanding. And it wasn't just some cheap home run. I mean, he blasted that thing 421 to center field, the walks, the stolen base, outfield assist at the plate. I think the first time he's thrown out a runner at the plate this year. And then throughout the game, you had various fan reactions for him kind of swelling late in the game when he's standing in right field and a group out near right field starts chanting at him, we love Juan, we love Juan. And he acknowledged them. And afterwards, he said it was all very cool. He really appreciated it all. But he also said it was strange because nothing's happened yet. And I can tell you this, he's in the dark. He doesn't know what, if anything, is going to happen. And a lot of people around him still don't really know what, if anything, is going to happen. Mike Rizzo and company are playing this thing pretty close to the vest. And I don't know what to make of that, except to say, stay tuned. I do expect something eventually, but they got till six o'clock to make those decisions. And at the moment, as we tape this, we don't really know much of anything yet. I wonder if Mike Rizzo knows. I wonder if maybe in Rizzo's mind, there's still a possibility that a trade does not happen. For what it's worth, we had this on Monday night report from MLB insider John Heyman of the New York Post, quote, folks around the Nats whisper that their 23-year-old Juan Soto remains likely to be moved by 6 p.m. on Tuesday, whereupon history can begin judging whether the Nats got enough for a player who projects to become an all-time great and is under control for three more playoff runs through 2024. That the Nats feel the need to move Soto is a real downer for a team that won the World Series only three years ago. The better news is that three serious contending teams, the Padres, Dodgers, and Cardinals, all with stockpiles of young, talented players, are in their bidding. All three are in. It should be an exciting 24 hours, one Nats-connected person said Monday. End quote. So the Derby is continuing, at least as of Monday night. You know, it's not a slam dunk that Soto gets dealt, but boy, there has been so much out there. You feel like something probably is going to happen. I mean, it's not often that you have this much out there regarding one guy potentially being dealt and then the guy isn't dealt. But, you know, this is such a unique circumstance. I'm not sure how much the past means for this. I mean, this is really rare. A player who is so young, so good, under team control for two plus seasons to go, legitimate superstar, could command in excess of $500 million in a contract extension. This is almost unprecedented. So I don't know that we have any sense definitely what's going to happen. I think we should be open-minded to any possibility at this point. Yeah, I agree. And anything that's being put out there is being put out there from somebody who has a reason for putting it out there. So it would behoove some people in this process to try to make it sound like there is this robust market for him. And yeah, we think he's going to go because perhaps you're now trying to convince those other executives of teams in the mix for him to up their offer and to keep pushing to try to get it done. Well, 
if the time comes at six o'clock on Tuesday and none of those offers does actually meet what Rizzo has decided Juan Soto is worth, and as we know, it's going to be a very high price to pay for him, he doesn't have to take it. This isn't the case of, oh, I've just got to take whatever the best offer is. As we've said all along, he can decline them all, move on, readdress this in the winter. So not to say that it can't happen, and there's certainly a good chance, and a lot of people you know, are braced for it and prepared for it to happen. But I also, in the back of my mind, keep saying, if somebody doesn't meet that offer, Rizzo's not compelled at all to do this. And there's certainly a reasonable chance that he doesn't. And come tomorrow night, we're talking about Juan Soto and how he did on Tuesday night facing Jacob deGrom and still as a member of the Nationals. That's going to be odd. <laughs> if he's playing Tuesday night, it's going to feel like, didn't we just say goodbye to you? You know, it's not unlike, it's a different circumstance, I'll grant you, but what happened with Ryan Zimmerman in game 162 last season when you said, all right, he's done, but is he really done? We're not sure if he's done, so let's say goodbye, but we might have to say goodbye again. And here you had Soto on Monday night, like, was this the end? We don't know. It kind of felt like the end, but who knows? So we'll find out. If it was the end, he did go out in style. Juan Soto on Monday night, one for one, uh, with a solo homer and three walks. Andy had a stolen base. Andy had an outfield assist. Soto in an Nats one run first, a two out six pitch walk. Soto in a Mets three run second, threw out Tomas Nito at home plate for the third out on a Starling Marte, two out bases loaded RBI single. Soto fired a bullet uh, to K. Bear Ruiz. You know, Soto has not had many good defensive moments this season. That was an excellent defensive moment. One run is scored, second run of the plate, the throw by Soto, and the tag. And out at the plate is Nito to retire the side. So good play by Soto. Soto in an Nats two-run fourth, a leadoff homer to dead center off, yes, Max Scherzer to cut the Nats deficit to 4-2, 421 feet per stat cast. Soto bottom of the fifth, two-out seven-pitch walk. Soto bottom of the eighth, leadoff six-pitch walk. And a stolen base. I mean, if you say, well, is Juan Soto a superstar? You point to this game on Monday night, you say, that's a superstar. I mean, he was a superstar in multiple ways on Monday night. And I loved the way he reacted to the homer off Max. I don't know if this was because it was Max or if this was because of the circumstances right now or if this was just because he hit a moonshot of a homer. But boy, did Soto enjoy that homer. He pimped that homer, as the saying goes. And he did the same with the walks. I mean, he was into all of them. And you could tell he enjoyed it. I asked him afterwards, does he get up for those one-on-one encounters with Max, obviously. And he smiled and he said he absolutely does. And then I asked, you know, did Max give anything back to him, any reaction? And he said, he don't like it. <laughs> he, he puts his face down or anything like that. He don't want to look at me anytime because he's, and I understand him because he's doing his job. Knowing both of them as well as I do, I know they live for those encounters one-on-one. And Juan got the best of him. And even though Max won the game, I know that it was still kind of bugging him at the end of the night that Juan got the best of him three times against Max, including the home run. But the other thing I took away from all that, from this, I mean, really all around great game that he played. There's two ways to look at it. One, if any, you know, if the GMs of the uh, Dodgers, Padres, Cardinals, anybody else were watching, and I'm sure they were at least paying attention, did that help convince them to add that extra prospect to the mix that is needed to get the deal done. Did that convince him, whoa, how can we not go after this guy and spend whatever it takes to try to get him? But then on the flip side, as Mike Rizzo sitting in his suite watching all this, as he's thinking to himself, 
What am I doing? Why would I get rid of this guy? How many players on the planet can do what Juan Soto just did tonight in this game in every aspect of it against a future Hall of Famer? Or Mark Lerner as well, watching, you know, with the potential to veto anything that Mike Rizzo might present to him eventually. So I thought it was interesting for him to have such a big game like that. It could have ramifications in either direction, potentially, for what happens before the deadline. Yeah, I think what's going on behind the scenes is fascinating. And I'm anticipating at some point some sort of a lengthy expose on what was going on behind the scenes. Because who is thinking what? Who is driving the Nats potentially trading Soto? Is this a Mark Lerner thing? Is this a Mike Rizzo thing? Are they on the same page with this thing? Does one feel one way and the other feel another way? You know, if you're Mark Lerner and you are about to sell the team, why are you so invested in trading Juan Soto right now? That doesn't make sense. There's something here that's not adding up. If the learners are about to sell this team and the process is going to be completed by November, as has been put out there, what do you care if Soto gets traded right now? Like, why do you have ants in your pants to get rid of this guy right now when new ownership could come in and potentially make Soto an offer that he can't refuse? So I find that interesting. I wonder about Mike Rizzo. Does he really truly want to trade Soto? Is he being forced or made or compelled to trade Soto? So, you know, there's just, there's so much we do not know about all of this. And that's why I think it's A, hard to answer the question, well, should the Nats trade Juan Soto? Well, it depends on a lot of things. And then B, will the Nats trade Juan Soto? Well, yeah, that depends on a lot of things. So there's just a lot of uncertainty with all of this. It's really unlike any of the previous ones they've gone through. And there are similarities to some of them in in different ways. But ultimately, this is totally different from any of the other ones because of how much time he has left, because there is no urgency from a contract standpoint. And of course, because of the ownership question, as we've talked about all along, that why is Mark Lerner, in theory, making a decision that's really for the next guy to make? But we don't know. Is the next guy already involved in some way? You've got to believe that if they have a sense of who eventually is going to purchase this team, that they wouldn't do something as dramatic as trading Juan Soto without at least keeping them in the loop on that. But we don't know. We don't know the answer to that. We don't know when that whole process is all going to play out. The other thing, and I don't know if this matters to Mark or not, but I can't help but think, you know, if let's say the sale goes down after the season in November and this franchise that he and his family born and bred Washington, D.C., Ted was a senator's uh, fan at age six, such a institution for them in the city. Everything they did to build up the team, to build up the ballpark, the area, the fan base, everything culminating with winning the World Series at last. And then three years later to be selling the team which is going to lose over 100 games, having lost a bunch of prominent players, going through a full-scale rebuild, and then is your last major act as owner of the team going to be to trade away a superstar at age 23 that you don't have to trade away? Like, is that the legacy? Is that that the last image he wants people to have of him and his family and their stewardship of this franchise? I don't know if that matters to him or not, but to me, that's a very odd thing to think about because you know it's going to be the first line of, you know, the obituary or whatever you want to call it, like the Lerner family, which purchased the Nationals in 2006, helped build them into a World Series champion and then tore them down before selling them. Like, is that really what you want your legacy to be? It's a very peculiar situation. The Lerners selling the team seemingly has come out of nowhere. Knowing the reputation, this does feel very much like a business transaction of 
you know, hey, we got robbed of the financial windfall that we should have enjoyed off the World Series because of COVID. And that in conjunction with what has happened to local real estate because of COVID has put us in a position from which we need to sell the team. And so that's why they're selling the team. And they're not concerned about legacy or anything like that moving forward. But yeah, it's strange. It's a very odd situation. And you have this confluence of so many different things. You have the ownership situation. You have the complete collapse of the team. You have this realization that Uh, I think more and more people are coming to that the drafting and player development has been woeful. You have the Juan Soto looming free agency. You have all these things kind of coming together right now. And so it really is a time of extreme uncertainty and almost chaos. I mean, I even mentioned you have Mike Rizzo, even though he just got extended. It's one year. He could be gone after next season. Davey Martinez, same thing, could be gone after next season. There is so much that is up in the air right now with this team. And it just, it has felt to me like this Juan Soto thing. I was like, this is like the last thing you need right now. You don't need this additional uncertainty in addition to everything else going on right now. And I think that's a big part of this. There are some trade sweepstakes that you know are coming. Like we saw the Max Scherzer thing coming last summer. No one saw this Juan Soto thing coming this summer. This really did come out of nowhere. And now it's here and we'll see uh, what ends up happening. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Great deal going on with Window Nation right now. The back to school sale, two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing until 2024. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and that you want the back to school sale. You want the deal that you heard about on the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is the best. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with Window Nation energy efficient windows. You'll get an A plus in savings. Window Nation has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Window Nation installers have installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. Window Nation does the job and does the job right the first time. WindowNation.com or 866-90-NATION. Tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and say, hey, I want the back-to-school sale Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, you're not going to pay Window Nation a penny until the Nats are good again. 2024. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Scherzer sets and delivers, and the pitch swung on, hit hard on the ground, and past the diving Pete Alonso and down the right field line. Soto around second, heading for third. Bell heading for second, and the throw with no one there goes across to Escobar, and so Soto keeps running. He scores with no one covering third. Bell over to third, and the Nationals lead one to nothing. Of course, Juan Soto's not the only Nat in play here on Tuesday. Josh Bell more likely than not, gone. Nelson Cruz, more likely than not, gone. Various Nationals relievers may well could be gone. Bell on Monday night in what we will assume was his final game as an ad. I guess you never know, but one for four with a double. One run first, he had a two-out double down the right field line. Juan Soto scored on the play. Uh, Bell did not get an RBI. Uh, Soto scored via throwing error by the Mets right fielder, Starling Marte. How'd you like Nelson Cruz finally being demoted in what you would think was his last game as a Nat. Again, we'll see. Maybe there's not a market for Cruz, but Nelson Cruz throughout this season, right? He's been batting in three, four, or five, I believe. I think it's those three spots that he's batted in this year. Davey Martinez on Monday night puts Cruz in the sixth spot. 
Uh, Nelson Cruz went one for four with a single, but I don't know. Davey's been like so stuck on Nelson Cruz in especially the four or five spot. And then the final game, we think anyway, Davey puts Nelson in the six spot. I thought that that was interesting. For the first time this year, he had not hit that low all year long. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't warranted. And I'm assuming that Davey was looking at the matchups against Max Scherzer and figuring that Yadiel Hernandez was in a better position. And Yadi did get a hit off him. So maybe there is uh, something to be said for that. But yeah, I mean, I think on February 20th or whenever it was that they signed Nelson Cruz, we figured we'd be talking about him a lot on August 1st and August 2nd. And instead, he's kind of an afterthought, which is is pretty crazy. And that's a reflection of the way that he has played this year to not clearly set himself up to be traded and get something of significance for him. But it's also a reflection of the Soto News and Josh Bell as well. So it is weird. I mean, Nelson Cruz is a big name guy. And it would still be a significant trade if they move him. But it almost feels like an also ran at this point with the other stuff. Now, with Bell, I thought there was an interesting development. I know nothing happened with him on Monday. But I thought the Astros acquiring of Trey Mancini from the Orioles was pretty telling because you would think we know that was a team that was in the mix for Josh Bell. And you wouldn't think that once they acquire a veteran free agent to be first baseman slash DH in Trey Mancini, that they're going to have room for another one in Josh Bell. I guess you never say never, but that seemed to me to take one of the prime suitors out of the market for Bell. We haven't heard a whole lot else about who's in the mix for him. I, I do believe he's going to be traded, but we don't really know what the market is or how much they're going to get for him and how that's all going to play out. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Trey Mancini went for two fairly decent prospects. It was a three-team trade, Orioles, Tampa Bay, and Houston, and the O's got back the Rays' number six prospect, this guy Seth Johnson, a pitcher, and the Astros' number 12 prospect. These rankings are per MLB pipeline, Chase McDermott. So, you know, just to give you an idea of, well, if Mancini can bring back two, you know, decent pitching prospects, not like top 100 guys, but guys, I mean, if you look up what these guys have done, like there's some promise to them, you know, maybe Bell can get you something like that for the Nats. And the Nats obviously could more than use something like that right now. Yeah, with Nelson Cruz, I really thought that he was going to be the Nats 2022 version of Kyle Schwarber. He's not here for long, but he hits a bunch of home runs. You end up having a lot of fun with him on the Nats during his brief time with the team, and then you trade him. And it obviously did not work out that way. Nelson Cruz was not in any way what Kyle Schwarber ended up being for the Nats last season. And, you know, it was a signing that made sense. I certainly applauded Mike Rizzo for making it back when the Nats made it, but it, you know, it did not work out. I mean, Nelson Cruz was an offensive liability. And one of the kind of funny things about this is here you have the DH now in the National League and Nelson Cruz for much of this season has hit like a pitcher. You know, you don't have pitchers hitting anymore, but man, I mean, Nelson Cruz, I mean, he's hit for like no power. He's felt like an automatic out. How many double plays is a guy hit into? You know, it's just been a rough watch. So, you know, it just didn't work out. I mean, He's older and it was worth the shot, but it did not work out. You know, one thing about this season, and I guess it was bound to happen, but the Nats for years had this Midas touch with acquiring older players, bringing them here, and those guys doing well. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, Gerardo Parra and Josh Harrison. As Drupal Cabrera. Exactly. And that has run out this season. When you think about like, say, Okay, Osiris Escobar, very good last season, not good this season. Nelson Cruz, not doing well so far this season. Michael Franco has not done particularly well. He's had his moments, but like it's not like you've been wowed by him. Cesar Hernandez, same kind of a thing. So yeah, that uh, the luck has run out, I guess, when it comes to going to the well uh, of older players this season. Yeah, I mean, look, it 
was a one-year, $15 million contract. And, you know, by definition, there aren't a whole lot of bad one-year deals, really. But <laughs> by the standards that you would set for that, it really has not gone at all anywhere close to what you would hope it would have. You would have hoped at best he might actually help your team if there were surprisingly going to be more competitive than this and play a big role in Juan Soto's development. And not to say that he hasn't because he's been a good teammate and everybody has pointed out everything that he's done for them. But you certainly thought that you were going to move him at the trade deadline and get something of consequence. And we'll see. Maybe they still will. Maybe somebody out there sees value in him. But I can't imagine it's going to be nearly as much as they thought they were getting for him. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that Nelson Cruz doesn't get traded, finishes out the year here, and that's the end of his career. That's not insane to believe that. Maybe he's still got something left. Maybe somebody out there is willing to give up something for him. But this really has not played out anywhere close to what they would have hoped it would have. No, it hasn't. If you're looking for encouragement, though, the Nats did get something for A-Ray Adrianza. So you would think, hey, if you can turn A-Ray Adrianza into something, then you should be able to turn Nelson Cruz into something. The Nats on Monday morning opened up their trading floodgates, uh, traded super utility man A-Ray Adrianza to the Atlanta Braves for outfielder Trey Harris. And, you know, this to me is a good job by the Nats, taking someone like Adrianza, who, remember, didn't end up debuting for the Nats this season until June because of a quadriceps injury that he suffered back uh, during the exhibition season. And you end up getting something. Now, look, this guy Trey Harris is not some blue chip prospect or anything like that. He was a Braves number 29 prospect per MLB pipeline. And this is his age 26 season. So he is an older prospect, but he was good enough to win the 2019 Hank Aaron Award, which is presented annually to the top offensive player in the Atlanta Braves minor league system. And, you know, the point here would be he is something and something is better than nothing. A. Ray Adrianza, veteran player, pending free agent, doesn't hit very well, you know, tip classic kind of like road to nowhere. He's just here to eat up plate appearances and innings and then be gone after this season. And so you're able to turn him into something. So I actually thought that this was a good job by the Nats in making this trade. Yeah. And I think the key here is that the Braves know him. He played for them last year on their bench, you know, won a World Series ring for them. And I would imagine that it had more to do with it than anything, because if you were just watching him play, you weren't seeing a whole lot. So I think they're judging him based on what they already know about him from the past. The fact that he's healthy again now and can do a lot of different things. But I think we the other night we were talking about, is there anybody else that you could see maybe? And I mentioned Adrian's name just because he was in the lineup like a bunch of times in the last week. And you thought, what's going on there? there there's got to be something. And I wondered if they were maybe showcasing him or at least trying to put his name out there, get it in people's minds a little bit. And uh, I guess it worked out that they found somebody to take him. But what a day for the Braves, who just did all kinds of stuff. The uh, Adrianza trade was almost secondary to everything else. They re-sign Austin Riley to a 10-year, $212 million extension. They trade for Jake Odorizzi, Robbie Grossman, the DFA'd Robinson Cano. They did a lot and a lot of good things for a team that is trying to win back-to-back championships and has positioned itself. And I think this applies now as you look at the Nats moving forward. The Braves aren't going anywhere. They are positioned to continue winning for a long time, and we know the Mets are going to be trying to win for a long time as well. That only makes the challenge tougher for what the Nats are trying to do. I don't know how, if you're a Nats fan, you didn't want to scream when that Austin Riley news broke on Monday. The Braves on Monday signed third baseman Austin Riley to a 10-year contract worth $212 million, runs through the 2032 season. So this is one of these deals where you lock up a young player, 
you buy out a bunch of free agency years by being ultra aggressive and giving him a mega money contract very early in his career. The Braves have done this with Austin Riley, have done this with Ronald Acuna Jr., have done this with Ozzie Albies. And look, uh, Austin Riley is not a Scott Boris client. I don't know if the Nats ever tried to do this with Juan Soto. I tend to think the answer probably would have been no, uh, given how good Soto is and given who the agent is. But, you know, I've asked around about this. It doesn't sound like the Nats ever aggressively pursued this with Soto. And we know that the Nats haven't done this with other players, right? Signed them to one of those contracts that, by the way, were pioneered years ago. John Hart was doing this in the 90s with the Cleveland Indians. You buy out the arbitration years, and then sort of the trade-off for that is you also get to buy out a few of the free agency years. The Nats have never done that. Didn't do that with Bryce Harper or Steven Strasburg or an Anthony Rendon or a Trey Turner or a Juan Soto. And again, every situation's different. Maybe these guys weren't open to doing those things. But man, how do you not wonder, how come the Braves keep doing this with players and the Nats can't do this with their players? They have done a brilliant job of it. I think who the players are represented by has something to do with it, but they are aggressive early in the process earlier than most teams would. Now, I think Riley, he's got three years of control left. They bought out three arbitration years. So in theory, he's only one year ahead of Soto in terms of his uh, major league tenure and all that. But they got him now while he's on a hot streak. He's been performing out of this world for them this season. Props to them. Alex Anthopoulos and company have done a brilliant job of building a team and maintaining and keeping that team together. And you've got to believe that at least for another good three, four years, they're going to be elite. Now, maybe eventually all those guys start to get older and it doesn't work out for them. But to this point, it's hard not to look at them and not feel some jealousy about what they've been able to accomplish. Yeah. And not ask the question, how come they can do that and we can't do that? I mean, right now, given the state of the Nats, it's hard not to look at other teams and say, how come they can do these things and our team isn't doing those things? I mean, I didn't bring this up on the last show because you know we're trying not to depress everyone every show, but Austin Voth, did you see what he did on Sunday afternoon? Oh, yeah. Austin Voth in a 3-2 Orioles loss at Cincinnati, five scoreless innings, six strikeouts versus no walks. Austin Voth now with the O's, 11 games, seven starts, 31 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 284. He has an ERA under three. And Yes, it's a small sample size. And yes, maybe Austin Voth wakes up a week or two from now and remembers that he's, uh, well, Austin Voth and starts you know struggling again like he did with the Nats for years. But why is it that he with the O's already has given them more production than he ever gave the Nats over four plus major league seasons with the Nats? Like, how do you not ask that question? If you're Mike Rizzo, how do you not look at that and say, what is up with us that we can't get this out of this guy. He goes to the O's, and in five minutes, he's got an ERA under three. Like, these things really stand out right now, given the state of the Nationals. It does not reflect well in the Nationals organization. It just doesn't. There's no way you can look at that, even in a small sample, and say that that makes you feel good about what the Nationals are doing at a a full organizational level in terms of their drafting, their developing, their coaching, their analytics, you name it, for whatever the reasons are behind it. He's not the first, but it's maybe the most dramatic example of it, at least something to flip that quickly from one extreme to the other. And it does make you ask, like, what's really going on here and how do they correct this? You're talking about major organizational overhauls of things in the way they go about it. It's disappointing, I think, for a lot of people to see that happen because they hung on to him as long as they did 
because there was a belief that there was more in there, that he was better than he was showing. And they finally got to a point they said, we've seen all there is to see. We're going to drop him. And then to see him have immediate success somewhere else. I know there are people in the organization that were saying, see, we knew there was something there. Why couldn't you guys get the best out of him? Who's to blame for that? It's not a good look, obviously. No, it's not. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's Corbin setting on one and two to Nito. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive. Going to be a base hit into shallow right center. Scoring from third is Canna. To second is McNeil who stopped there. And Corbin ahead one and two. Could not finish off Nito who bloops one into center to drive in his 17th run of the year. And the Mets take the lead two to one. Patrick Corbin, speaking of pitchers who struggle with the Nats, uh, he was an Nats starting pitcher on Monday night. You know, if there's one good thing about all this trade stuff, it's that we were able to bury Patrick Corbin's latest clunker until 20 plus minutes into this installment of the podcast. Uh, so, you know, you had Max Scherzer pitching for the Mets. And look, Max on Monday night wasn't like dominant Max, three runs, two earned six and two-thirds innings, five strikeouts. But he certainly was a lot better than the Nats starting pitcher on Monday night. Patrick Corbin. Corbin on Monday night struggled for a fifth consecutive start. Boy, those back-to-back good outings against Pittsburgh and Miami feel like about 10 years ago now. Corbin on Monday night, four runs in four into third innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, and six singles. He issued a walk and a hit by pitch, had four strikeouts. He threw 90 pitches over his four and a third innings. He did give up the home run to Pete Alonso, top of the third, a one-out first pitch solo shot by the new Nats killer, Pete Alonso. He has inherited that uh, championship belt uh, from Freddie Freeman. Alonso, that was the, like the ultimate line drive home run, put the Mets up uh, 4-1. But I tell you, I think the inning that really stood out to me with Corbin, top of the second, he gives up three runs on five singles and a walk. How often does any pitcher in any inning allow five hits in an inning, five singles like that. This was like the classic thing of death by a thousand paper cuts. You saw that in this inning. And of course, this has been such a thing with Corbin these last three years. He gives up a lot of contact. He consequently gives up a lot of hits. He wasn't necessarily getting whacked around in that inning. There was that infield single by Brandon Nimmo on a one-two pitch on what seemed like a a boo-boo by Bear Ruiz. It was a tapper between Corbin and Ruiz. Corbin and not Ruiz for some reason fielded the ball and the Nats fielding of the play developed too slowly. Uh, Nimmo ultimately was ruled safe at first upon replay review. But man, it was just like, wow, three runs on five singles and a walk. It feels like only Patrick Corbin can do that right now. 
And as was the case in his last start, which was the disaster in L.A., it all came with two outs and a lot of times with two strikes. Four straight hits with two outs. Three of them came with two strikes. The only reason the inning ended was because Juan Soto made a perfect throw to the plate on Starling Marte's single to right. The inning would have continued if not for that throw, and who knows what would have happened from there. This is quintessential Patrick Corbin right now, and uh, nothing seems to be doing anything to change it. The numbers now, 4-15 and 15 is the record. The ERA is 6.57, and get this, I looked up the highest ERAs in the majors basically this century, <laughs> since 2000. The only pitcher to finish a year with a higher ERA than 657 among those who qualified for the ERA title was the great Jose Lima, who did it twice in 2006.65 with the Astros, and then in 2005, 6.99 with the Royals. As we've said, typically pitchers who are that bad don't get the opportunity to throw so many innings that they still qualify for the ERA title. As of now, Patrick Corbin is on pace to do that, potentially be the majors' first 20-game loser in almost two decades. Nothing is changing. It's the same thing over and over. There's really nothing new to say here. This is who he is. And it makes you wonder, if you put Patrick Corbin right now on the Orioles or on the Rays or on the Dodgers or on the Braves or pick your smart team, what would the numbers look like? Would he still be this bad? Corbin is dead last among all qualified pitchers in both ERA and WHIP. You mentioned the 657 ERA. The WHIP is at 177. And it's not even close. The gap between him and the next worst guy in each category is... It's like the Grand Canyon. The next worst ERA among qualified pitchers this season is Herman Marquez of Colorado at 529. Corbin is last at 657. Marquez next to last at 529. Like, it's been that bad for him this season, and things get worse, not better. And, uh, well, we'll see. So the bullpen for the Nats on Monday night, five relievers combined to allow three runs in four and two-thirds innings. We mentioned Steve Ciszek on the last installment of the podcast as potentially having emerged as a trade chip. We've said with Ciszek, when he's on, he's good. When he's not on, he's not so good. And he was not on on Monday night. Whereas Juan Soto put on a proper showcase of himself prior to the trade deadline. Steve Ciszek did the opposite. He got charged with two runs, recorded just one out. He had a Mets three-run sixth, issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of Starling Marte. How many hit-by-pitches is Steve Ciszek going to issue this season? And then gave up a two-out three-run opposite field home run to Francisco Lindor to left center for a 7-3 Mets lead. And then Ciszek issued a walk, a two-out five-pitch walk of Pete Alonso. Not good for Steve Ciszek on Monday night. It's 11 hit-by-pitches in only 44 and a third innings. It's the second highest total in the league, despite the fact that he's thrown far fewer innings because he's a reliever than anybody else on that leaderboard because they're all starters. It's a weird aspect of all this. And like you said, he had been on a nice run. He hadn't given up a run in quite a while. And you thought, well, maybe you get some trade value for him, but this one is not going to leave a good taste in anybody's mouths who might be interested in him. And that's disappointing. And another guy who, when they signed him, the thought was pretty clear. Get what you can out of him and then flip him at the trade deadline. I don't know for certain that they're going to be able to do that. I don't know that they're going to get much of anything for him before the end of the day Tuesday. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. Hit up Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast 
at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone, you know, a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. We shall see what happens on Tuesday, and we will be back with you to discuss whatever goes down on the Wednesday installment of the Natch Chat Podcast. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Natch Chat Podcast. Here's the wind and pitch. Swing a high drive, left center field deep. Nimmo going back on this one to the warning track. He's out of room, and it's gone! Juan Soto takes Max Scherzer deep into the brew house. Red seats. He pulls the Nationals within 4-2 to two with his 21st home run of the season. His first career hit against Max Scherzer is a towering home run to left center field. Pretty much a no-doubter for the Nationals right fielder. And they're on their feet saluting Soto as he crosses the plate. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.